Hello and welcome back to our study of the Dhammapada. Tonight we go on to verse number 48, which reads as follows. Pupani hewa pachinantang biyasatamanasang narang atitanyewa kamesu antako gurudevarang which means just as one who is picking flowers who is a, with a distracted mind wasting their time picking flowers so too a person uh, goes to death so too do human beings go to death uh, never being satisfied by sensual desires Antakaro guru, antako meaning the ender or death takes them away under its power, or they go under the power of death, never being sat, satisfied with sensual pleasures. So just like a person uh, distracted by picking flowers. This is similar to 47, if you've been keeping up. In 47 we had uh, just sutangamang mahogova, just as a uh, sleeping village is carried away by a great flood. So too one is carried away by death, just like someone who is picking flowers. Pupani heva pachinantang, the same beginning. So it's a similar verse. These are not um, particularly inspiring to, for most of us, it sounds kind of uh, like a negative teaching here we're talking about. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll go over it and we'll try to make it inspiring. Hopefully it will inspire us to uh, find something other than just sensual, desire, sensual pleasure. So, but first the story. This is... Um, a story that I like to tell often. It's another one of these angel stories, so if you're not into uh, supernatural things or things that seem supernatural in the sense that we can't see them and they seem to be outside of the real world. So maybe a word on that first. The, the real world is an interesting thing. We, the idea of angels existing, I mean, I, I don't know that angels exist, but... Uh, I get the feeling they probably do, um, but but that, there's nothing to that, right? But the 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 idea that they couldn't exist is because they're outside of of uh, objective reality. It's important to to touch on it briefly. I mean, I don't want to make this a metaphysical talk or uh, talk on metaphysics. But we look around and we don't see angels. We see the hard floor. We feel the hard floor, we see light, you know, and we see uh, human beings, and we see animals, and so we think, well, even with our strongest detecting instruments, we can't see angels. And so we come to think that the world is nothing more than a physical uh, course, uh, place, or, or, or sphere of existence. But the idea of, of the existence of angels, so, so it seems, you know, the, the, the immediate conclusion is that if there is angel, are angels, gods, or God, you know, this creator God, then they must be outside of the observable universe or outside of the known universe. They, they must be undetectable and therefore the same as, as non-existent. But in Buddhism, we don't look at reality from that point of view. We don't spec. We don't um, jump to the conclusion that this three-dimensional reality is, is is actually out there. Um, we see reality as beginning from experience. So here, if you look, you you know you have seeing, you have hearing. If you, if you smell, if you taste, experiences arise. This is how we understand as the basis of reality. And so the idea of um, experiences or, or beings that experience things in a different way from this, um, 
it's not just speculation, it, it, it accords with the observation of our own reality. When you sit in meditation and you, you look uh, quite de in quite detail at the uh, arising and ceasing phenomena, um, well, you start to get an idea of the, the uh, depth or the, the breadth of possibility in regards to experience that uh, well, well, you you know, some people when they're meditating, they have out-of-body experiences. Some people hear things very far away or enter into mystical states. Many people, if you listen to people who have these meditative journeys, they they start to 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 experience things in 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 very strange ways. People who are on on drugs, for example, take uh, hallucinogenic drugs or or um, DMT or these crazy drugs that just you know, experience things that are so different from our ordinary experience. You don't need drugs to do this. Uh, actually, meditation brings you to some very strange and, and exotic experiences and helps you to see that what we think of as reality, this physical reality, is only conventional. It's only because we're so stuck in it, routinely stuck in it. So, um, you know, we come to see that, that the step from a human to an angel is only a matter of degree. It's not categorically different. If this reality changes, as our experience changes, it can become that reality. So an angel is an angel and a human being. They move. They can move back and forth. It's, this is still just a theory. You know, you have to um, experience it through meditation to to agree or disagree with that. But uh, it touches on the understanding of of how could such a thing be possible. It's not like this universe and then angel universe. It's only a different. Um, or, or a, um, a difference of degree or a difference of, of coarseness and, and uh, um, refine, refinement of, of consciousness or of experience. So, um, so I'm not trying to prove that angels exist or even hint at the, at the proof of it, but, but try to help to understand what is an angel. It's just another being or it's, it's even us. We can we can shift in that direction, um, and and to some extent you can feel this uh, even in even even in a, um, a human physical material sense. You can feel that when you engage in unwholesome activities, it's it, it, if you're meditating, if you're sensitive enough, you can feel how how sensual lust, how, how anger and hatred, how these things really actually drag you down and make you more coarse, make you more, um, I would say, in tune in some sense with the coarse material world, more sensitive to noises, more sensitive to pain, more sensitive to um, conflict. You, know, you become dragged down into the world of pain, the world of suffering. On the other hand, if you if you engage in wholesome activities, people who engage in charity, in in generosity, in morality, in in meditation, in helping other people, uh, in sharing with other people, in in being grateful and respectful, find themselves lighter, feel um, more refined, and 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 their whole experience of reality changes. This is on a very small degree. You see, so it's not yet proof of anything particular, but it gives you an idea of what we're talking about. So this is what we mean by angels is just someone who's gone to a, a being who's gone to that degree, and at at the the shedding of this human body, the next wave of of existence is on another level, on a different level, as opposed to someone with a coarse experience at the shedding of this body will go to a coarse experience. So. Some idea about angels. Anyway, that's not the story. That's the boring part. Now it gets interesting. So the story goes... I can't remember where the story starts, but uh, the story goes that there was an angel up in heaven. And two angels up in heaven. A, a male angel and a female angel. And they were husband and wife. And there were so many angels uh, uh, playing, basically, you know, enjoying themselves in, in, the, in the heavenly parks. In heaven, you don't have to go to school, you see. 
you just play all day. You don't have to go to work, so you don't have to know how to work. You don't have to study math anymore or, or science. No? All that, all those years of study that you had to do to become doctors, useless up in heaven, <laughs> waste of time. But you have so much time up in heaven is the other thing. See? So you could, if you wanted to learn Pali, it'd be very easy to learn Pali. Says so we had this question from my teacher once. Um, because one teacher had said, one um, uh, theoretical, how do you say, a study teacher, who's a book teacher, monk, he had said that in heaven everyone speaks Pali, I think was what he said. And we were trying to figure out how that could be possible. You know, if a, if a person dies, do they just suddenly know Pali or something? <laughs> and, and so I was trying to see, how could, is it really true that when you go to heaven, everyone speaks Pali or something like that? I can't, I had some, some strange idea like that. And uh, so we asked my teacher, and he said, well, they just learn Pali. They don't, they don't, you know, they can speak whatever language they want. The question was, what, quite, what language do they speak in heaven? And he said, well, kids learn how to speak in, in two years. In heaven, you live for how many? Hundreds of thousands of years. So you can learn whatever you want in heaven. But sad to say, most people up in heaven don't spend much time learning. They just spend a lot of time playing. So even after hundreds of thousands of years, they still don't know anything. Because there's no need to. So they die kind of... Often, it sounds like they die kind of stupid. They die without really... Just like a lot of human beings, actually. We die not really having learned anything. Maybe we learned some math and some physics. But many people die without really understanding themselves, right? Like, how many knuckles do you have on one hand? <laughs> <laughs> Joints was the word. They're not knuckles, are they? Joints is the word. I, no, I, I, I keep telling this story. I heard it originally from this man. He said, this monk, that monk actually, the monk who's up on our mantelpiece, uh, he said, uh, so I asked this woman, 95 years old, how many, how many joints do you have on one hand? She didn't know. He said, you've been around 95 years old, you still don't know how many joints you have on one hand. This is how, how well we know ourselves. It's an example. Okay, so it's not important to know how many joints you have on one hand, but it is important to know, know yourself, right? to understand yourself. To understand why we cause our, why we suffer, what, what is the, you know, how our mind works, how we can use our minds to bring happiness or to bring suffering, how we can free ourselves from stress, from boredom, from dissatisfaction, from greed, from wanting, from conceit, from arrogance, from attachment to views, and so on, from fear, from worry and doubt. How can we free ourselves from these things? It's just worth knowing. In heaven, they don't do much of that. They just spend all their time playing. So how do they play? Well, I think, if I remember correctly, half the angels will stay at the bottom of the trees. I think I've told this part before. Half the angels go up into the trees, and they throw flowers down. They're singing and dancing. I don't know what their songs are, some kind of, something like Sesame Street or something. You tell me how to get to heaven, and so they drop, drop flowers, Ooh, throw the flowers down, and they, they play games like that. And there's, so this, this, this woman, this, the, the wife, Angel, she's with them playing, and her husband's there playing as well, and they, this is in the morning, they go out in the morning after they eat, or I'm not sure how often they eat, but they eat. In, in heaven, when you eat food, you don't, it doesn't come out, you just use it all. You don't have to ever go to, the, you don't have to shower, you don't have to go to the toilet ever. You just eat what you want, whatever you want, however much you want. And the food there, there was uh, Anuruddha once got some heavenly cakes because he had made a vow never to hear the word nati. You know the story of Anuruddha? Anuruddha, he made a vow when he gave food to a Pacheka Buddha, may I never hear the word nati. And he never heard the word nati until his past life. And then his mother sent him some cakes for all his friends because he was they were playing marbles, right? And he lost 
marbles. And they bet. And the bet is cakes. And so he asked his mother to bring some cakes. His mother sent some cakes. He lost again. Bring some cakes. Third time he lost again. No cakes. So she said, go and tell my son there aren't any cakes. And servants went and said, nutty. What do you mean? Well, you asked for cakes and your mother said the answer was nutty. Well, then bring some nutty cakes. I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. Nati means there aren't any. Naati. Ati means there, there is. Naati means there are not. There is not. And so he went back and the mother said, Oh, he doesn't even know the word Nati. He's never heard this word. He's always been given everything he wants. That's what it means. He never had to hear the word there aren't any. You want something? Okay, you can have whatever you want. All his life. Well, I have to teach my son a lesson. That's what she said. She said, I have to teach him what this nutty means. And so she took a platter, a silver, a gold platter and a gold lid, and nothing inside, and sent it with the servants and said, "Go and tell my son this is what nutty means." And up in heaven, the angels, the heaven started shaking, and the angels looked down and they said, "Oh, this is not good." He made a vow never to, he, never to hear the word nati, or never to know what nati means anyway. We can't let this happen. So they brought some angel food cake. Real, like no, not the stuff you buy in stores, but real angel cake. And they put it under the, under the lid, and they sent it, and, and, and it went along to him. And when it got to Anuruddha, he opened it up, and whoa, the smell filled the whole playground. Just the smell alone was incredible. And then they tasted it. And I never tasted, of course, never tasted such a thing. And Anuruddha got up and he got very angry. And he stormed back home right in the middle of the game. And he went, flung open the door and he looked at his mom and he said, you don't love me. And she was like, oh dear, now we have to talk about this. What do you, what do you mean, son? If you'd loved me, you would have given me nutty cakes before today. You never gave me them before. That's proof that you didn't love me until today. How could you? He said, from now on, I will eat nothing but nutty cakes. <laughs> and she thought, to, and he stormed back to the playground. And she thought to herself, what could have happened? She thought, angels must have given him some special cakes. And so whenever he asked for nutty cakes, she would just send an empty train just like that and the angels would always fill it up with cakes so, unfortunately that sort of thing doesn't happen to us I've never tried it actually but I've heard the word there isn't any before but that's that's the how good the food in, is in heaven much better than like McDonald's or Pizza Hut much healthier too but okay, so in the morning they went out and started playing their games in the beautiful gardens, beautiful forests with no mosquitoes, no snow, unless they wanted it. And it would be snow like cotton candy, it would never be cold. It would just fall. It would be very tasty, you know? There was, there's no suffering in heaven, just pure bliss. And then this angel felt something strange. And she looked at her clothes, and her clothes were starting to fade, and the flowers in her dress, the garland of flowers, and the flowers in her hair. She looked down and saw they were wilting, dying. And she thought, this has never happened before. Flowers in heaven don't wilt. And I think she would feel the sweat in her armpits. It's never happened before. Those are the signs that an angel is dying. Because after thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, the angels die as well. And she died and disappeared from heaven. And everybody else was playing and didn't even notice. Too many people, you can't count everyone. Too many angels having too much fun. And she was born as a little girl in Savati, I think. Somewhere near the Buddha, probably Savati. And 
she remembered being up in heaven. Oh, and she cried. And she thought to herself, how can I get back to heaven? And she tried. She realized the only reason she went to heaven because of all the good deeds she'd done in her past. And so she made a vow to do good deeds her whole life. To never get angry, to never get upset, and she vowed to help and to give. And so she was so kind and helpful to her parents and uh, to her friends, and she was very careful never to speak in angry words, always thinking about her husband, she would say, my husband, thinking about my husband. And so they quickly they got her married. They said, oh, well, she wants a husband. And uh, when she was married, she would always give gifts and, and donate donations to the monks. And when, she, when the monks came for alms, she would always put food in their bowl and dedicate it to her husband. And they thought, wow, she, this, here's someone who's really dedicated to her husband. This is uh, pretty incredible. So they called her Pati Pujika. This was her name. Pati, Pati means husband. Pujika means one who, who worships or who, who, prays, who reverences their husband, reverences their husband. They thought, well, this is, wow, she's really paying respect to her husband. They thought it was the, the human husband. And uh, so you know, they thought, well, this is, uh, you know, in Hinduism, that was what you're supposed to do. You know? So they thought, wow, she's really being a good Hindu wife. Being respect, worshiping her husband—that's, that's, uh, you know, it's not really particularly Buddhist, you know, to to worship another person, but um, it's kind of interesting. So that's what they called her—the woman who worshipped her husband. And uh, so her whole life, she was very. She would always go and keep the eight precepts at the monastery, and she practiced meditation, and lived her life to be sixty, seventy years old. And she had children, I think two children or four children, many children. And uh, then she was working so hard at the monastery one day that she fell, fell over and, and, and had some kind of, I can't remember what the condition was, some indigestion maybe, or, or maybe just her, a heart, heart problem. And she fell over and died. And immediately she was born back up in heaven, in the same heaven. Only now, when she left, what, what, what time was it? When she died from heaven, what did I say? Was it, was it morning? Yeah, after breakfast they went out to play. And they were out there for an hour or two in the morning. When she got back, you know what time it was? It was afternoon. Same day. And it was like, oh, the husband comes up and says, oh, I didn't see you, you left, where did you go this morning? I didn't see you all morning. <laughs> and she said, I died. What are you talking about? It's true. Where were you reborn? In Sawati, on earth. How long did you live there? Seventy years. Seventy years on earth is... It's a few hours in heaven, he said. And she said, yes. He said, wow. And he thought about it, and it really, really hit him. He realized, how short is the life of a human being? Wow, considering how short it is, they must really put effort into doing good deeds, no? Human beings must spend all their time running around helping each other and being kind and generous and, and keeping the precepts and, and giving alms and, and practicing meditation because they know that they're going to die in a few hours very quickly. He said, right? What do you think? Do we? Do human beings, the whole, does the whole world spend all their time doing good deeds? Yeah? We don't go to war or hurt each other or fight or argue. 
Are we all, are we thinking about heaven and, and doing good deeds to go to heaven? Yeah. Really? No. <laughs> Not you. I know you are. But I mean people in general, humanity in general. She said no. No, they're acting like they have millions of years to live. They're acting like angels. They act just like us. They think they have all this time to live. She said, they don't spend any time, hardly any time doing good deeds. It's all, what can I get? How can I get it? Once I got it, how can I get more of it? Never satisfied. I've got a Nintendo, now I want a Nintendo 64. Super Nintendo, no? Super Nintendo, now it's a Nintendo 64. I don't even think you know what those are. Those are <laughs> my time. And Nintendo 64, and I want the, what the next one, the Wii, right? And then the Wii, and now there's something else? I don't know. Alright. Always more, more food. And entertainment. And he heard this and he was, wow, incredible. How is it? You know, they only have such a short lifespan and they spend all their time just entertaining themselves. Unbelievable, these human beings. And they went back to playing. <laughs> they went back to enjoying themselves because we've got hundreds of thousands of years to live. We're not going to die. You know, the Buddha said, uh, I was just reading now, he said, uh, when the lion comes out of its den in the evening, it yawns. And then it stretches itself and then it roars. It lets forth terrible roar. That scares everyone. It scares the humans, it scares the animals, all the birds fly up. Even the elephants, the Buddha said, in, safe in the castle, even the king's elephants, safe in the castle in their stalls, will run around, will break out of their bonds and urinate and defecate and, and get all afraid when they hear the lion roar in the wilderness. That's how powerful is the lion's roar. Scares everyone, scares the willies out of everyone. The Buddha said, in the same way, when the Buddha teaches the Dhamma, teaches the impermanence of all things, even the angels up in heaven get afraid. These angels who run around thinking they're at the top of the world and they realize we too are subject to impermanence, we too are subject to decay, we too are a part of this Sakaya, the Buddha said, the Sakaya. And we also are a part of this um, formed existence that is not permanent, that is not stable, that is not eternal. Because angels forget this and humans forget this. And think, oh, I'm going to live forever. And that's, there was a song, I'm going to live forever. It's kind of stupid, no? Why would you sing such a thing? I'm going to live forever. Unless you were joking. Because we all know that we're not going to live forever. Yet we act like it sometimes. We don't ever think about this. So this angel, is very interesting what he said, no? Why don't these humans think about this, considering how quickly days go by? You think a day is long, 24 hours, that's a long time, but how many days have gone by? How quickly the days go by. You sit here and look at these weeks go by. Everyone comes back again every week, every week. Wow, how quickly. And yet we don't, well, people in general don't. We never think. How many people would never think to practice meditation? Ooh, why are you wasting your time meditating? Go, enjoy your life. Live forever. This is what they say. So then back down on earth, the monks heard, found out about this woman dying and they said, wow, she was a really interesting woman, always respecting her husband. I wonder what that was about. 
why her husband was just an ordinary guy, he wasn't really interested in good deeds himself. I wonder why she was worshipping him so much, always saying, this is for my husband, this is that I may be with my husband when I die, and so on. And the Buddha heard what they were saying and said, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, we're just talking about pati, pati, pati pujika. How, how she really worshipped her husband. And he said, well, it wasn't her husband on earth. It was her husband that she'd just left a few hours earlier in heaven. And she wanted to go back and be with him. <coughs> and why not? Because up in heaven. And he told them the story. And they said, a few hours? She was alive for 70 years. Is it, is it really like that? One day up in heaven is a hundred years on earth. Something like that. It was interesting. We were. Uh, I was. Meant, I was talking about this earlier. How, uh, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. You know, the um, what is it? The faster you go, the slower time goes. So the the, the point being that time is somehow relative. It's, it's not exact. It's not what we're saying here, but. There's this interesting thing where time isn't the same everywhere, where uh, what seems like a hundred years here is actually just a day up in heaven. There's another reason why we were, I, someone asked about um, angels, why you never see angels. Why do you never see angels? It's on this topic, no? First reason is because an angel can smell a human being a thousand leagues away. We smell really bad. And angels won't come anywhere near us. It's true apparently. A thousand leagues. So if you're ever wondering, why don't I ever see angels? You need a shower. But the second, this is another reason, is that, you know, like when people die, why don't they think of us and come back and say, hey, I'm up in heaven, do lots of good deeds and, and come up and be with me in heaven. It's so much fun up here. We get to play with flowers all day. Why doesn't anyone ever do that? Why don't you ever have people come back? Okay, well, suppose you die and you go up to heaven. What's the first thing you'd do? Play, right? At least for one day, come on. You know, you can always, tomorrow you can always go and tell your, your friends and family, right? And then what happens when you wake up the next day and say, Oh, I've got to go tell my friends and family. They're all dead. <coughs> That's the second reason why we don't ever have angels come and tell us about heaven. By the time they think of it, it's probably, probably for most people it's not the first day, like, eh, next week. And they go back and nuclear holocaust or something on Earth. Oh, maybe I won't go back. Silly humans. So the monks said the same thing. They said, wow, it's amazing. It's, uh, and it's amazing that uh, people don't realize this and don't actually take the time to do something useful with their lives. They die as, as useless as when they were born. So then the Buddha said, yes, this is true. People go to death chasing after, uh, chasing after sensual pleasures, just like someone picking flowers. Just as though we were spending our whole lives picking flowers. Is that a useful life? Spend your whole life picking flowers? No? Huh? You listening? You listening? Is it is it good good life to pick flowers? You just spend your life picking flowers. Hmm. Sensual pleasures are like picking flower like flowers like picking flowers we've talked I talked about this last time it's um, nothing wrong with picking flowers doesn't seem but there's nothing useful to picking flowers the the main point is it doesn't change you 
It doesn't make you happier. This is what we have to talk about. We have to understand what this phrase means, make you happier. We say, well, well picking flowers makes me happy. Because it's our, own, our only understanding of happiness is sensual pleasure. We understand that that moment of pleasure is happiness. And we don't look and see what that happiness means, what the um, consequences of that, of enjoying that happiness are. It's not some horrendous thing where it suddenly the sky falls. But it creates addiction, it creates attachment. So you need, you want and you need more to be happy. So if anyone says it makes you happy, well, in what sense does it make you happy? If you're talking about that one moment, then okay, it makes you happy. We have to ask, does it make you happier? In the, in the sense of in general, do you become a happier person because of it? Is it something that makes you happier or makes you more peaceful? And we find that actually it doesn't even make you as happy as before. It doesn't even leave you as happy as before. It, makes, it leaves you less happy, less satisfied. So that's why when we sit here, we can't be happy. Not all the time, anyway, because we're not happy. If picking flowers makes you happy, then we should try. We can go out and pick flowers all day and then come back and sit in here and see how happy we are. Well, we can be happy thinking about all those flowers we picked. But what if we had to sit here for an hour listening to someone drone on about angels and death and stuff? How happy would we be then? Just like someone picking flowers with a distracted mind. We go to death without ever finding, without ever becoming satisfied, unsatisfied with sensual pleasure. There are things, on the other hand, that do make us happier. That when we go out and do them, you know, we went outside and did these things, we would come back in here and sit down and we would find ourselves happier. So if we went and picked, split the, split the group up into two and half of us will go out and pick flowers and the other half will go out and give presents, to give gifts to homeless people. No? Or go out and meditate, practice meditation all day. Let's try that. How many people would volunteer for the meditation? I don't know. Most people are like, okay, flowers, I can come up for that. <laughs> Just pick flowers all day. Because either way you end up with a stiff back, right? Picking flowers or meditating. But at least with flowers, you've got some flowers. <coughs> See, we don't, we, we're not conditioned the reason we're born as human beings is because we're conditioned to, we've conditioned ourselves to chase after sensual pleasure. The idea of meditating is, is somewhat repulsive to us because of our nature, because of what's led us to be born human. And yet, when we do meditate, it does make us happy. We do come back in here and we are at peace. very difficult. The Buddha said it's very difficult to enjoy those things that actually make you happy. It's very difficult to enjoy solitude. Today I went back into the field, all the snow's gone for the first time, and so I walked all the way across the field behind our property, and uh, I saw one of the trees had steps in it. Sounds magical, no? One of the trees had steps. What do you think that was? 
What was it? I don't know what it was. Well, in uh, November, these wonderful humans that are so intent on doing good deeds go up into these trees and sit there and wait. They sit very still up in these trees. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Think they're meditating up there? People do this in Canada. You never heard of this? No? And they go up and sit in these grown men, not, not children. This isn't a treehouse. And you know what they bring with them? Guns. And they sit up in these trees and they shoot whatever moves. They get really drunk and I don't know what they do here. In Ontario, they get so drunk that you're afraid to go out of your house. You have to wear something like this. Well, this kind of looks like a deer, I don't know. <laughs> it's the only time those bright, bright orange robes are any good. The ones they wear in Bangkok, they'd be good during that time. Maybe I'll have to get some for that period here. Because right behind us, we've got two of them. One's on, on our side and the other's on the other side. So I went up in one of them. I didn't bring a gun. And I was way up in the trees and practiced meditation. I've done that before in my house, because I used to hunt when I was young. And then to make up for it, I decided to go up and meditate in the tree to, to give my forgiveness, give my uh, apologies to the deer and to the forest. So I went and did that now and practiced meditation there. It's amazing that we can't find happiness doing that, you know? Sitting on a tree, nothing, no, no worries, no cares, no, uh, no, do, no wants, no, no burdens besides having to come back and tell a story to some people, nice people. So this is a call to arms, so to speak. This this verse, it's a reminder that we don't have so much so much time to live. Our lives are not near as long as we think. And if we're not, if we don't take the time to, if we don't spend our time wisely, we'll die. Um, never finding, never being satisfied. We'll die never having satisfied our desires, never having found contentment. Death will take us under its, under its control. So meditation is for the purpose of changing this, changing our conditioning. Changing our conditioning from being bored when there's nothing pleasant, to being satisfied no matter what is pleasant, being content no matter what we get, whether we get nothing at all, even if we get nothing at all. It's amazing, you know, when you study the Buddha's teaching and then you look and you see how unsatisfied we are just sitting here, how unpleasant it is. We're just in this room together, really, you see. And even if I'm talking about good things, I can only keep your attention for so long before wandering back to something more pleasant. This is, uh, this is the state that we're in. This is what we have to look at. That we can't even be here happy. We need something. And we think right away, you think, oh, what are you, crazy? If I want to be happy, I need my Xbox. I need my Game Boy. Do you still have Game Boy? <laughs> no, it's old, no? Uh, I need my computer. I need my Walkman. Listen to music. I know some kids who just always have their music on. <laughs> Take that out of your ear. Some kids, you know. I, well, this one kid, he would follow me on alms round in, in Los Angeles. He always had this in his ear. 
How could you be happy without that? No. How could I expect you to find happiness? We should turn. Everyone should put these things in their ears, and then they'll be happy, right? And you wouldn't have to listen to me anyway. And no, you won't be happy. He's very unhappy. This boy. It's a good example. Oh, you can see how miserable he was. It's like a, a drug addict, and and they couldn't. At home, he was he was useless. He wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't do his schoolwork. He wouldn't do his chores. He has no respect for his parents. So they sent him away to Thailand. And I was in Thailand when he was there this last year. Julian's here, this kid from Los Angeles. I don't suppose he'll be watching this. And they said, "Oh well, bring him to come and bring him to meditate with me." Oh, we can't take him. It's just you know totally useless and and disrespectful and just sits around and does nothing. Well, send him up here to meditate. No, we're sending him back to Los Angeles. Nothing. No one could. No one could handle him. You think this is this is what we get? This is the result. This is why we're stuffing our ears with these overpriced gadgets. Ask yourself, why are you here? Don't ask Steve Jobs. He doesn't have the answer. He wasn't Buddhist. That's, I don't believe it. <laughs> Anyone who says that doesn't understand Buddhism. So I'm a little bit biased. I mean, I guess he was a nice guy to his family and so on. But the, I don't mean Steve Jobs. I mean that whole culture of buy, get, beautiful, wonderful, ooh, push, button. So it's like, this is what we've, this is what the, 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 the pinnacle of the human race is to push a button. A single button. It only has one button. I've seen them. <laughs> I mean, come on. I thought it was like, oh, look, I've got a keyboard. It's got 128 keys. That's cool. I've got a button. Touch screen. You've got these talking cats. That's how I expect you. I've seen them. Cutting fruit. There's something about cutting fruit. I mean, isn't that like enlightenment? That's like, wow, this is where the human race is going, right? This is evolution. Fruit ninja. Angry birds. Some angry birds. <laughs> this is what life is, this is what life's all about, right? No, we call these things pastimes. That's what entertainment yeah. means, right? Enter means in between, entre temps, entre temps. Entertain, tain comes from time, I guess. It's from French, the French, entre-temps, which means between times, when you're not doing anything, when you're waiting for something. Angry bird, push the button. Pastime, because we've got too much time, right? No, we don't have enough time. Think of what the angels are doing. Like, what are you doing down there? We smell so bad, they don't want to come and tell us, but they're like, you we feel sorry for those guys. There's angels right up in heaven right now like, thinking about us, how stupid we are. How, 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 how much we're wasting our time playing Fruit Ninja. Think about that. Don't you have something better to do with your life than become addicted to meaningless activities? Apparently not. It's not easy. I'm not trying to make light of this. This is a very difficult thing. We've been conditioned. We've conditioned ourselves into this. And everything conditions us. You know, the television, advertisement, society. My friends have one. I've got to get one. My friends do that. I should do that. Well, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? No, I heard a, I heard a reply to that. The answer is yes. Yes, well, yes, because all my friends are quite smart. I mean, if all of you jumped off a bridge, I think there was, must be a very good reason for jumping off the bridge. Maybe there's a fire, maybe there's an explosion. I should jump off the bridge with you. Just make sure you've got smart friends. That's really the problem. We lead each other in the wrong direction. It's an interesting reply, because if we have good friends, we'll lead each other in the right direction. That's why we're here. So... If I jumped off a bridge, you might think, hmm, maybe there's a reason for jumping off the bridge. I think that monk's gone crazy. <laughs> but when you hang out with, with good people, then they lead you in good places. 
you get to hear good stories and good teachings and you get to practice good things so now we're going to now we've heard good things we've heard good dhamma so next up is to practice good things so we'll try to put this into practice and spend some time learning about ourselves try to find your suffering try to fight with your suffering like Darth Vader Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting with Darth Vader fight with your suffering don't let it overpower you that was the most powerful line in those all those movies I only saw the first you know, the original three and the first one uh, he says if you you can't win if you kill me you'll only make me stronger he says to Darth Vader did you ever see the first Star Wars hmm? he says if, if He's fighting with Darth. You know Darth Vader? Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi's fighting with him and he says, if you kill you can't win Darth. If you kill me, you'll only make me stronger than you can ever imagine, or something like that. And that describes an enlightened being. An enlightened being isn't afraid of death. You can't win. This is exactly it. Antako Kurute Warang. Antako means the ender. It's just a word that means ender, which means the one who puts an end to life. So it's death. Or, or the king of death or something this personified death it brings them under their power but for a person who is free from attachment they don't go under the power of death death only leads them up like this woman who had done so much so many good deeds death was what she was waiting for she wouldn't kill herself that's not good if you kill yourself that's a negative thing it's must an attachment so she just did as much good, got her mind so free from desire, free from any clinging, that she soared up to heaven, like on a horse. For such people, they're not afraid of death, and death can't kill them. Death can't bring them under its power. So that's the story for tonight. That's the teaching for tonight. Let's try to study ourselves and find some happiness Find out what really makes us happy. It's not this. Okay, thank you for...